Welcome to the WP Campus Podcast, a podcast for those using WordPress in higher education. The last couple of episodes of the podcast have focused on big changes to WordPress, Gutenberg, and GDPR privacy tools. It's easy to get caught up in the energy and the drama of changes like that, but they're not really why people use WordPress in higher ed. So why do we use WordPress? What makes it such a valuable tool? A big part of the answer to those questions is WordPress multi-site. My name is Brian DeConnick, and I work at NC State University. I'm joined today by my colleague and co-host, Jen McFarland, and by Ronnie Burt. Ronnie works with Campus Press, a president-level sponsor for the 2018 WP Campus Conference, and he's here to showcase some of Campus Press's clients and talk about what makes multi-site such a great fit for so many different higher ed use cases. So welcome, Ronnie. Hey, thank, thank you very much for having me. Oh, we're really happy to have you. Um, so I guess uh, for so our university, NC State, does not use Campus Press. Sorry about that. Full disclosure. <laughs> but, but I know a lot of campuses do. For people who don't know what you guys do and what services you offer, what do you do? Yeah, so we are we're basically one of, if not the first, managed host around exclusively with multi-site for the past 10 years or so. Um, so we are first and foremost a managed host for WordPress multi-site and with Campus Press exclusively within education. So both K-12 and higher ed, a little more than half of our business is, is higher ed. Um, we work with a couple of hundred universities worldwide, um, about a little more than half of those are, are in the US here. Um, and so it is WordPress multi-site, that's all we do. And it's a little bit of everything uh, within multi-site. So we host it, we support it, um, we handle change management, testing, upgrading of WordPress core. Um, we, do, we can do end user support. So if it's a site for faculty or for students, they can reach out to our support team 24 seven instead of uh, university's help desk. Um, we have a ton of plugins and resources and tools that we've developed over the years um, that are available kind of out of the box. So it's it's kind of more than just the managed host. We, we take ownership of the entire code base of WordPress, including the plugins, including the themes. We do reviews of those just to keep things running uh, as close to 100% of the time as possible and as fast as possible. Um, Campus Press itself is part of a little bit larger WordPress company. Um, you know, WordPress is all that we do. Our sister company is WPMU Dev. So lots of universities that may not be using Campus Press um, might be using services and plugins and tools from WPMU Dev. And they actually share a lot of the same resources. You see a lot of the same stuff across the two in the same team. And we do use WPMU Dev. So we like you guys for that. <laughs> Uh, so what's your role with uh, Campus Press and yes. the company? So we're we're uh, a little weird with titles in our company, but I guess if uh, when I have to, you know, when it goes to contracts and things, I'm general manager of Campus Press and that uh, kind of shepherd the, the growth that we do, the sales side, the product development side, and just making sure that everything that we do with Campus Press, um, you know, is... is going strong and always getting better. Um, I also work across um, in some of the business development side of, of WPMU Dev and, and in the fact that we have shared resources there, we do managed hosting, 
um, on the enterprise level with WPME Dev as well, and it's essentially the same team and product. Um, so that's, in a nutshell, what I do. A little bit of everything. It changes every day. Mm -hmm. How long yeah. have you been around? Uh, I've been with the company now for a little over eight years. Um, when I started, um, Campus Press had a different name of EduBlogs uh, Campus. Oh, right. Okay. And so, yeah. and so EduBlogs is still around as well. EduBlogs is more K-12. It's one large multi-site network. Um, it's actually, we're pretty confident that it's the oldest um, multi-site network on the I web. I believe that. Yeah, I remember yeah. it being around a long time ago. It was, it, was, it launched before WordPress.com, actually, yeah. as, nice. as, an, as an MU. Um, and it's got a little over 4 million um, blogs going strong. Uh, you know, really popular, especially in the K-12 market um, with teachers for for blogging sites and, and things like that. Uh, and we use that. Um, that's kind of where everything started. WPMU Dev came out of EduBlogs. We were building a lot of stuff for EduBlogs and people were like, well, we want that. So we turned that into a, a business. So multi-site has really been the focus of, of our company from the beginning. Did you say um, 4 million? Yeah, there's about, there's a little over 4 million blogs on that one. That's impressive. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's a it's a beast, um, and they're not uh, they're not all active, but you know over the course of yeah, that, sure. that, that network's over twelve years old. And I was excited about like our twenty five thousand, but four million. It's, it's like quite a... it's quite the database. Yeah, um, but it's given us it's given us a lot of you know experience and and scale and um, it, it's a lot. That's that's where I got personally got started. I was a classroom teacher, middle school and high school math teacher, and was using WordPress with some of my stuff and came across EduBlogs and it eventually snowballed into a job. Um, it was kind of the first non-technical person, well, second non-technical person on the team there. Brian's got a math degree too. You guys can have some math. math yeah. I'll Excellent. just sit here and <laughs> laugh at you guys. <laughs> yeah, Jen has a textiles management degree, so. Yeah, really big on the math. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so all that's awesome. Um, so when we were emailing back and forth before the show, uh, mm -hmm. you sent me a, f a few links to some of your clients who are using uh, multi-site in different ways. Um, it's hard to do like demos or showcase in an audio format, but um, let's talk through uh, maybe a few of the sites that you shared with us. Yeah. Um, so if, if there's one in particular you want to start with, go right ahead. Well, I think I'll, I'll just emphasize that um, you know no two installations are the same, <laughs> and and no two um, kind of implementations of of how our customers are using WordPress and WordPress multi-site are are the same. Um, so it's everything from the very top level main site, um, Providence.edu is an example of that, um, where you know it's it's their main web presence, the homepage of the university, plus um, the different you know, departments and, and everything that comes with being the top level main site. Um, and to be honest, that um, is on the newer side for us. We got our start, you know, through edgy blogs, through the learning side, through classroom blogs and stuff like that. Um, but that's also 10, 12 years ago when WordPress was a blogging tool mm -hmm. and is now known for, you know, being the CMS of choice. And so it's only natural that we see more and more typical CMS use with um, with WordPress and, and multi-site. So, you know, a benefit of your main site like Providence.edu is, so your admission site 
can be a subsite on the network and you can just give someone or a small group of people in admissions access to edit the content of just their site, um, but they won't have access to edit like, you know, someone else's site on the network or the main the main website. Uh, you know, WordPress permissions are pretty good for that. It's totally extendable. I know I'm preaching to the choir if you're listening to a WordPress um, podcast. Yeah. <laughs> but but um, the, you know, what we see, some of the cool things that we're seeing with top level sites and, and across all the sites that's kind of related to main sites is um, things you can do with content syndication. So we have a post indexer plugin that will index all of the posts and custom post types uh, across a, a multi-site network. And then you can use short codes or template tags or different ways of displaying that content across the network. So if you have, like, might have a, a tag that if it gets used anywhere in the multi-site installation, then it's going to highlight that post on the main website. Um, so it's just an easy way of kind of syndicating the content or reposting, I mean, anything from just the title of the post to the full body and text of the post um, that way. So that's kind of a cool implementation. You also, you know, work through the strengths of WordPress and that it's extendable, it's easy to develop, the theme, share a common theme or set of themes across all of your sites and that sort of stuff just makes a lot of sense. And I think that we're seeing more and more main site implementations as time goes on, as people are, you know, every whatever it may be, five, seven, 10 year cycle of updating that main website, mm -hmm. uh, WordPress is becoming uh, more and more used there. Well, and I mean, it, it makes sense as a as just a way of consolidating and managing your, your web presence. Um, so at, at NC State, we don't have our, 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 our main homepage is not part of a multi-site with the rest of our departmental sites and college sites. Mm -hmm. But uh, we did just over the last few years go through this long exercise of uh, still sort of ongoing of bringing everybody on board with a new brand and uh, having everything centralized in a single environment certainly makes that easier. For sure. And definitely, I mean, and I know that you mentioned in the in the pre-show and the pre previous discussions of GDPR and, or even our U.S. customers were getting questions about easy way of adding cookie notices and privacy policies across all other sites that they have never had to really think about before. Um, having it in a simple multi-site or single multi-site has made that process easier for for many of the customers. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and so then I guess beyond the the main sites, kind of our bread and butter. Um, the, the typical customer, if we had to have one that we would describe is um, kind of a self-service on-demand um, WordPress multi-site platform mm -hmm. where faculty, students, staff, whoever's affiliated with the university can go to a landing page, click login and create a site or multiple sites within the multi-site network. So there's lots of examples of those. Um, u.osu.edu at, at Ohio State. Um, that's, I like that one because it's a nice, short, easy URL to share, but it's also um, a very branded installation. So every site there is using one of just a few themes that you know they've developed in-house that are, that are branded, match the university marketing guidelines and web style guidelines and all that sort of good stuff. Um, but any student, at, you know, if Ohio State's the largest or one of the top two or three largest universities in the in the U.S. Right? That's a lot of students that can just go and create a site. Mm -hmm. 
that's a WordPress site there. Um, and they don't have to worry about, um, you know, getting too big or, or what, how long they might just be using it for a course that lasts a couple of months, or they might, it might travel with them throughout the, the entire four years that they're in the program or, or, or whatever it may be. Um, faculty as well, faculty sites. It's, it's just a out of the box WordPress platform for anyone to use. Mm -hmm. um, so mm -hmm. when you're working with the university um, and they're setting up a like a self-service system like this, uh, are you involved in, um, or can you be involved in uh, deciding policy, helping them figure out how um, how to govern that kind of an environment, uh, what the what their rules should be, things like that. Yes, <laughs> we definitely can be, and we like to be. Um, you know, so the fact that we're lucky and that we we've, we've worked with a good number of of universities doing something similar, the best thing we can do is share what we've seen work well and what maybe we haven't seen work as well in the past, um, and also try to make connections of folks doing similar things so they can talk directly to each other. Mm -hmm. um, so definitely do those sorts of things. And I and you know, at least half, especially of these kind of self-service platforms that, that we have um, are migrations for us. So they are self-hosting it or they're hosting it elsewhere. And then you know, we, we come into the process. So in that case, a lot of times the policies are already set. Um, and sometimes that's a good thing and or it's a bad thing if they have a ton of plugins that they've just added to it over the years, um, you know, it can take a, a while to kind of go through them and, and help kind of clean up the network. So we're, we're comfortable um, with, you know, ongoing maintenance of it and that sort of thing. Um, but that, that's, that's another big part of why no two implementations are the same. So some customers are totally happy with anyone and everyone, come create a site, create whatever you want, do whatever you want with it. Others want a very rigorous, um, kind of request form that has to go through someone pre-approves and then it goes to a, another person that can approve it and vet that that's really a site that needs to be created and, and it's a very manual process. Mm -hmm. um, so we, we definitely run the gamut between those those two um, sort of extremes in terms of policies there. And then policies in terms of branded versus unbranded. So for example, I think the next one on the list was sites dartmouth.edu um, you know, at Dartmouth University it's a recent migration for us theirs is not very branded at all I don't I don't even know if they have any I think they might have a couple of branded themes but you can choose to not be branded um, so you just a, a lot of the WordPress themes that that we've accumulated over the years that are just out there on on you know the wordpress.org repo um, those sorts of those sorts of themes that the people can do anything they want with with those sites. Um, there's a little bit less kind of policies, approval, governance on those. Is that more of a challenge for you? Because then you have more overhead in terms of support for those kinds of things? Um, yes and no. I mean, we that's, we try to offer as many themes and plugins and things like that that we have committed to supporting ongoing. So we know when we do an update for it, for one customer, it's going to be an update for it for, for all customers. Um, so we're okay with that. And we're very careful in the plugins and themes that, that we select. Um, for example, themes in the last two or three years, we're only adding themes that have been reviewed by a third party as accessibility ready. That greatly limits the number of themes. Like if it doesn't meet that tag, we're not, we're not going to accept it. Mm -hmm. um, 
so there's there's things that we can put in our policies to kind of make sure that that we're comfortable maintaining it long term. Um, so does that make sense? Oh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm just like trying to glean ideas here too, because of course yeah. we have a lot of the same problems with, you know, there's plug and bloat over time, there's theme bloat over time, where more of the Dartmouth model where people can use multiple things, but we do have some campus themes. So um, yeah, I mean, it's it's a challenge. It is. and I mean, one thing that we've done recently that we didn't do for years and years and years is start retiring themes and plugins. I was going to ask about that and, yeah. and sites too, like how often do you go through and clean out old sites or do you? Well, we don't for the customers, but some customers do choose okay. to do that. So they, we have a scripting tool that's built in where you can run a script to see um, when the last time the the site was updated. Download a CSV of, of those sites, and then we can we can mass archive them if if they haven't been updated in X amount of time. Mm -hmm. So some customers will do that. Others, I I've always been of the belief that once it's on the web, it should be on the web forever for the most part. Um, with with some. I mean, I understand the governance reasons and the privacy, like it's easier to have less data, but if it was published Records publicly- Records retention, to the, people love you. Yeah, but if, if, the, if it was public on the web, someone published it on the web for a reason, they, they, they didn't give it a, a sunset date, you know? Um, if your database administrators feel differently. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. um, but, you know, people are, uh, for the most obvious reasons, people are, might be linking to that somewhere, and now mm -hmm. you've created broken, dead links around the web. I just, right. I feel like if it's a public site, it, it, it typically needs to live ongoing. There I, are, there I like are uses. Your argument. For not, yeah. I'm going to steal it when the next time somebody <laughs> asks me when we're cleaning up our stuff. <laughs> yeah, but there's the also, you know, you have less, uh, less footprint is right. less to worry, is less to worry about. Um, so I get that. And it also depends on the purpose of the site. So, you know, on our networks that are more course focused, that those right. blogs mm -hmm. or sites typically are, first of all, for a learning purpose, and it, that course is long over. Yeah, then, very different model. Yeah, then, then a faculty site who published some research or, you know, information about even, even the historical stuff on a, an event that took place years ago is is a nice public record to have um in my opinion but that's but we do make the tools available you know wordpress multi-site you can do database scripts and all sorts of things like that to to pull out what you're looking for contact those people make sure they want it to archive uh what we typically do is not fully delete as we archive sure. so it's not yeah. live on the web and then we can easily just unarchive mm -hmm. um, but then that data is still living in your database, so it doesn't really help that problem. Right. <laughs> um, so there, so there's those. Then, then there's kind of hybrid networks. There's um, well, the the host university for WP campus, uh, Wustel, WashU, uh, sites.wustel.edu. Um, they're an example where they have their main WordPress website, or their main website is WordPress. I'm pretty sure. Um, but that's not part of the multi-site network that we host. Right. Um, and so then it's lots of department events, uh, you know, academic groups, their med school, things like that, that are on that. But it's a fully branded, everything's branded um, kind of through their main, their main web team right. example. And so, you know, I can keep kind of going through the list. There's uh, the, the all, the other kind of ex 
not extreme, but other use case of back to the learning. So between course blogs or portfolios. So edblogs.columbia.edu is an interesting example. It's that's out of their kind of I don't I don't always get the department or the organization completely correct, but it's in their instructional technology side of things. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, ran by the same folks that are managing their LMS and things like that. Um, so it's a WordPress implementation. The idea is if a course needs a, a WordPress site or a blog that's public outside of the LMS, then they go here and it's an on-demand platform for for the course. And there's some cool things you can do there with um, LTI integrations or Canvas API integrations for kind of pre-creating these courses or auto-adding students to WordPress and things like that, that that we've either found or built or improved upon over time. Mm -hmm. uh, so those are, those are some pretty cool implementations. And ePortfolios is always a, it's a buzzword that's been around for a long time and it comes and goes and- Yeah, um, always comes know, back, I, pops up. It does, and I see, I've, seen, I've seen some really good implementations. And then, it, it, I mean, what it takes is kind of a, um, it's one of those that you can't just kind of wing and throw out there and hope that something sticks. It's one that in our experience takes some, some pretty big, uh, just planning and organization wide, like making sure that it's going to, the follow through is going to be there mm -hmm. um, to make sure that something like that is going to be worth it. And oftentimes those sites might be private. Um, there's portfolio.newschool.edu. That's an example because um, they have a pretty extensive portfolio process. And, you know, I, I've seen more and more and more of those come out and oftentimes they're kind of smaller implementations because it's at a single department or maybe for a single course or a single major or whatever it is and not some sort of university-wide implementation. Mm -hmm. So uh, you said earlier that a lot of the customers that you have are already coming in with an existing network or something mm -hmm. like that. Um, for the customers who are coming in cold with, with no existing network, uh, do you find that they usually have a clear idea of what they want, that they've made these decisions about like um, how they want their course network or course multi-site to function? Or uh, I guess, I guess, what's the preparedness level that you, you see a lot of your clients have? Yeah, I mean, it does vary. Um, oftentimes it's as simple as we talk to someone here and we want that, <laughs> you know? Um, so that's handy if we give, can- Give point. me what Columbia has. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that's, that's kind of what I see, you know, maybe they ran into each other at a conference and had a conversation. Um, typically by the time they're talking to us, they're familiar with WordPress and we're not selling them on WordPress. Mm -hmm. Um, that used to not always be the case, but it's much easier to like, we don't have to go into why you should use WordPress to begin with, um, for the most part. And so they have an idea of, of WordPress, how it works. Um, they're not always familiar with multi-site, they might be more familiar with kind of single-site implementation. So kind of going through what you can do with multi-site and what those sort of tools that it, it brings to the table is is big in the process that we can kind of identify exactly what it is that they're trying to achieve, what that pain point is that, you know, or problem that they're trying to solve. Mm -hmm. And then, so I guess when they come in, let me let me ask it this way. Uh, have you ever had anybody surprise you with a request? Do you do you find that a lot of the things universities are looking for, 
basically fit into well-established categories or do you ever have anybody come in with a uh, really wild multi-site need? Um, I mean, sometimes the wild would be if they want to just make, like there might be an example of not wanting to use WordPress at all and do everything on the front end and, and find some third party that will, that pretends to allow you to do that. Mm -hmm. And then you, you kind of are taking away the purpose of <laughs> Word, WordPress to begin with. You have to talk um, them off the ledge before you. Yeah, it's kind of like, well, <laughs> yeah, I understand. You know, like the WordPress dashboard isn't that scary. We should we should allow them in there. Um, mm -hmm. Your users will probably want that over yeah. over something else. So kind of talking because I think it was a good idea. Like where they were coming from makes sense. They wanted like a kind of a Squarespace um, implementation of totally on the front end. They can't mess anything up and and all that sort of good stuff. But our users are. Um, once they get into something, they're going to want to make more changes. They're going to want more, more features, more plugins, or whatever that we wouldn't be able to support. Plus, mm -hmm. a lot of times, I guess the crazy things—not I don't want to use the word crazy—but the, the, crazy. the, <laughs> the challenging things that we get are um, requests for specific plugins or maybe specific themes that our gut feeling or our research is just showing that this may not be something that's going to be around long term right mm -hmm. and i and i hate to set customers up for failure of the future is like we can't support this um so there are lots of projects that have come up over the years i can't remember some of the names but some that do like um that make a lot of sense and would be really useful for publishing research or sharing like um I can't think of what it's called, but academic journals listing and things yeah. like that. So, so mm -hmm. when faculty have um, published these sorts of things, so these plugins that are out there, they often are tied to a theme or something like that. But you can just tell that there, it may not have the project may not have legs to to be around long term. So mm -hmm. I don't want you to build an entire multi-site network around it, and then we will be up the creek later. Um, same with like choosing some fantastic theme looking fantastic looking theme forest theme that, <laughs> that, that seems to answer you know every prayer you've ever had um about you what didn't you didn't have your to say theme to. forest it was assumed but yes that's... yes um you know i mean i've used themes up there's some great sure. things there, there but, are some. But, it, but it's an open wild west market mm -hmm. um they do some reviews and things like that but it's not the same like it's an independent developer and you don't know what's going to happen with it later. Yeah. And you, and so, so you don't want to put all of your, your stock and your, and your site based on that, knowing that it, it may not be updated in the future or around or work well in the future. And do you have people who, you know, come to you and ask for plugins that do something that another plugin already does or, or that yep. theme or, yeah, I mean, that's the. Every, every single day. So, um, so the, how do you, you just like point back to that other thing and say, we're not going to like keep adding to this environment. Yeah. And it's got, people seem to understand more and more. I mean, part okay. of it is we, we tried to develop the largest, you know, as large of a, a plugin kind of recommended plugin list that we can support uh -huh. um, as possible that does you know, 90 something percent of what everyone needs to do. Um, so we start with that. And then if oftentimes I find that people want a plugin that does something and they can just use embed code or something like that. It's like, well, it's just so much 
easier for us to just use some embed code and, and not just easier, but future proofed and, and all sorts of things like that. Mm -hmm. um, so we definitely go through the plugin vetting game. I think there, that's a big part of kind of the education process when we onboard a new customer, especially if they're not familiar with, if they've been hosting it themselves and they're moving it to us, they, they understand that pain right. and they're sure. kind of happy for us to take it on. <laughs> if, they're kind of, if they're kind of newer to it, um, and the end users, I mean, I understand, uh, you know, a gung-ho faculty member who yes. is used to going to the WordPress repo or wherever and uploading whatever plugin, I understand their frustration. <laughs> um, but we're, we're, you know, we just have to explain why we're doing this in the best interest of the long-term health of, of the website in general and the multi-site network. So um, do you have any governance or policies to back that up to say like, yeah, okay. So if somebody's really pushing it, you can say, well, look, at the end of the day, this is just not something we're going to do because X. Right. We have code guidelines. Yeah, okay. Um, so functions and, and things like that that we just will not support. Um, so we can often point to one of those in, in these sorts of plugins or themes. Um, we also will do performance analysis, and we can prove that, look, there's a big performance hit here with this, and that's yeah. not something you really want. Um, can always go back to even things that say they're accessibility friendly, we can always find some accessibility problems with just about anything, unfortunately. Right. Um, so there's there's different tricks that, that we use to kind of prove our point, um, knowing that we also don't ever say no without trying to give some sort of alternative. Absolutely, solution. yeah. Mm -hmm. So this, I guess, I, I think this follows pretty, pretty uh, smoothly from that. Um, sometimes higher ed can get a little political. Uh, sometimes people can have strong feelings. Um, you don't have to name any names, certainly, but... Uh, no, no one has strong feelings, Brian. <laughs> but uh, I, I guess, is it ever a challenge? You know, uh, College X or University X has a new vice chancellor for whatever, and they want to totally change everything, or they don't understand why they have this relationship with campus press or something like that. Do you ever run into- I'm sure that's just like us. That? No, no, it's it's common. Um, and and there, you know, the fact that people are moving in and out of different roles all the time is, is a big factor in there, I think. Mm -hmm. um, you know, what, what's helped us is we try to, we typically have one, maybe two main contacts um with a customer mm -hmm. and that's pretty much the only person that we deal with um you know that, that we communicate with and and talk to and so they're kind of the filter <laughs> um so we're not i mean we do have calls and you know, meetings like that with mm -hmm. large groups and sometimes that kind of stuff comes up you can tell um that there's you know different views on how we should achieve things in that group, but we filter it all through that, that main contact. And that's, it's kind of, that, that, that might be the only person we listen to. In, that's in, a great idea, respect. Brian, we should do that. And you should do that filter. <laughs> Let's try that. No, that was, that was a very good answer. And you, <laughs> you, you navigated the trap that I set for you very nicely. <laughs> um, so I want to shift gears for just a second. Uh, you, so Edublogs has 4 million sites, you said. Um, you also have a lot of different clients, a lot of K-12 and university clients all around the world. Um, and 
I assume many of those multi-sites themselves have thousands of sites in them. Mm -hmm. That is an unbelievable scale that you're working at. Um, like maybe second only to like automatic. Mm -hmm. um, how do you, I guess, how do you do that? So yeah, give us the goods. <laughs> what's, what's really? Uh, like, <laughs> how, how do you manage on that kind of scale all these different multi-site installations? Is so it it's, magic? It's magic, isn't it? It's, it's, to me, it's magic. Um, <laughs> the, so we've invested a ton in moving to AWS, which has changed all of our lives in many ways. Um, so we, for years, were with uh, Pier 1, became Server Beach, and we still have some, some legacy stuff there. Mm -hmm. um, but so we've always managed the, the servers ourselves. I mean, we've always been involved in the day-to-day -day management of setting up the infrastructure and, and how it all works and things like that. Mm -hmm. So, um, but as we were able to move into AWS, that's allowed us to do things like, first of all, much easier to offer data center options for our customers outside of the US, you know, in the EU, in Australia, things like that. Um, so locally, and as laws have changed significantly, you know, the need for that is, is now that's a given, you have to do something like that. Mm -hmm. When, when before we were like all in one data center in San Antonio down the road for me at Pier 1. Um, so that's investing a lot in, in AWS and in learning all the different tools that we can do there with AWS has been has been critical. Um, setting up what we do for redundancy um, so that, you know, when there's a problem, at least there's an alternative there to, to mm -hmm. not have the sites go down and, and things like that. Um, you know, and that's not, that's cheaper to do at scale than it is to do for an individual site. So we have sure, kind of sure. the benefit, the benefit of that. Um, and, and actually our overall hosting costs have gone down since moving to AWS, which is good. Um, well, until we start adding in other services and additional backups and dedicated and stuff like that. Um, but I mean, my answer really is you have a team. Um, it's been a lot of trial and error. Um, you know, there were growing pains that our customers would openly admit to through through the years um, mm -hmm. that, you know, led us to, to the move. Um, so some of the technical kind of roadblocks that we had to overcome, some of the big ones that are interesting to talk about. The first is in a multi-site install, particularly like a course blog or, or something like that, where you might have a class of 500 students in a chemistry class <laughs> logging into WordPress at the same time to mm. do something. Uh, concurrent logged in users is a challenge um, at scale. I mean, it, it's more than just that class, right? Then you have all the other sites on the network and things like that. I think yeah. higher education has to be unique in this. I mean, it's something that we see as well, obviously logged in users, but also just, you know, first day of school, first week of school, everybody yeah. hits stuff at the same time. And, uh, you know, you can kind of count on it being a problem, but you can't always count on all the sites that are going to be an issue or where that problem is going to pop up. Right. Um, so it's always it's always kind of fascinating uh, that that first week or two. And then, of course, people stop going to class and it's not a problem anymore. <laughs> well, that's true. Well, and I mean, we see our you know hosting costs in August, yeah, September right. are substantially higher than they yeah. are in 
in the middle of the winter or whatever. A little depressing, but okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, you, you know, you can see with that traffic and, and things like that and just being prepared. And it is a unique, unique in that aspect. Um, it also multi-site dealing with SSL certificates and the fact that I still don't understand the hundred domain limit on a, on a cert. Um, <laughs> makes i mean i'm sure there's a good reason for it but i've never i haven't researched it too much other than to know that that 100 domain limit is there and that's a massive pain point you know as yeah, we we've, we've done enough with with uh ssl certs and v hosting and i can't imagine what it's like with four million sites yeah i mean luckily most of those it's just a wildcard cert or, or something like that but also you know universities <laughs> don't like to provide wildcard certs yeah um, for the most part. Yeah. So so it's kind of a, you know, we want you to host all of these sites for us, but we don't want you to have the um, the tools you need to do that <laughs> sometimes mm -hmm. is a is a governance issue that that we hit across sometimes. You know, mm -hmm. and let's encrypt is has helped there a lot um, for the customers that'll allow us to use let's encrypt for for free certs. I mean even then there's still a hundred limit that Let's Encrypt does have new wildcard certs, but it's the same. Um, we have to get domain authorization approval, and universities, many are not willing to do that. So those don't help us that much. Right. Um, the, number, the number of people who have to sign off on things like wildcard certs, or, uh, yeah, yeah. It, it gets to be a little bit of a process. Which, which I understand the need for, right? But when we're also trying to protect your your sites, it's a it's a challenge. It's mm -hmm. a balancing act to 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 kind of figure out. So those sorts of pain points technically, um, you know, at scale are, are the types of problems that that we've had to figure out and we're still improving and mm -hmm. still working on. Um, other things with multi-site that's kind of unique to multi-site issues to think about with hosting and scale are, you know, our typical um, dev test prod environments <laughs> um, at large multi-site networks that's a much bigger challenge you know most of your managed host solutions out there or all options that you have out there for quickly cloning a site putting it in development environment just fail they break at, mm -hmm. at, sca at scale um and so if anybody comes up with a really good solution for large multi-sites you know um we should chat <laughs> but the um things that we've kind of done to get over get around that. I think there's uh, there's cloning plugins. We have one, there are some free cloning plugins that you can clone individual sites. Um, so we use that kind of for testing and development environments and then moving it to production. So you can take an existing live site on your live multi-site network, clone it to a new site, like a new URL, make it private maybe on the site, mm -hmm. change your themes, change your content, activate the plugins, whatever you want to do and test it, and then you can clone it back over to the live site when you're ready. Um, so that's kind of a workflow that most of our customers are pretty happy with when it comes to an individual site on the multi-site network. Mm -hmm. And then for testing, you just provide an identical production environment at like a development URL, and you can't really sync the content. Um, I mean, you can, but it's time consuming and kind of, you know, after you do so, the content's not synced anymore. Right. Um, so we sync it occasionally, make sure that the settings are the same. And that's where we can test, you know, network-wide settings changes or a new network 
plugin or theme or something that we want to add. Um, but those types of things are different than maybe a, a small multi-site or a single WordPress install. And it's often kind of confusing in a you know, something developers that are used to that. You know, we've, it's been drilled in all of us, this test dev prod you know, environment. Right, right, right. Um, to not offer that is something to kind of talk through the reasons why and make sure that we're happy with the alternatives around it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, I just want to wrap up with one last question for you. This has all been really useful for, I think I've been watching Jen uh, take notes uh, <laughs> as, as, as we figure out how to maintain our sites. Um, this has all been really useful and interesting for, for us. We didn't even get to the question, give me all the good plugins. Yeah. Like, just send me that list of approved plugins. But I'll just well, catch you at WP Campus and be like, come on, give it, give it up. Absolutely. And it is in our in our doc section on campuspress.com. I think it's slash doc slash plugins is okay. all of our approved plugins. And so many are ours are from WP Dev, but many are also not, mm -hmm. um, you know, that we've kind of vetted and approved. That's cool. And, to be honest, That's and I'm not... I'm not going to lie. We uh, stock the like WordPress VIP plugin list and pull from there when we can and things like that. So sure, it's a yeah. it's a good it's a good thing. Mm -hmm. uh, so you've been or Campus Press has been involved with WP Campus basically from the start. You were a, mm -hmm. a sponsor at the the first event in Sarasota. Um, what makes WP Campus so valuable uh, for for Campus Press? I think for our entire team, it's the only or, or the best kind of professional development that we can have internally. So, you know, the conversations that we can have, the lurking in the Slack channels, being at the conference and attending the, the sessions for, for our whole team, we can't, we can't get anything better. Um, you know, the folks that are using WordPress um, on the front lines, that's, that's who we need to learn from and, and know how we can only make that experience better for them. So, I mean, it's, it's completely uh, a big part of, of what we do. All, almost all of our team from the support sales down to the developers, you know, they'll lurk in, in Slack and watch the online um, sessions and, and things like that. So it's, it's huge for us. I'm, I'm gonna add on to that. What are you most looking forward to at this year's conference? Oh, you know, I haven't checked the, the schedule completely yet um, in terms of sessions and things like that. But I feel like every year there's a little bit of a, a kind of a focus on, on, on what we're talking about. And I from, I could be totally wrong, but I kind of get the feeling that we're, we're talking more about content and, and use of different ways of generating and sharing and using content. And that's kind of a focus of mine too. So com any conversations or sessions around um, new and interesting ways of anything to do with content is, is good for me. Because I feel like in general, this is outside of higher ed, marketing and, and things like that. We have content overload, social media, exhaustion. True that. Anyway, I, I could go on and on yeah. <laughs> about this stuff and um, lost in the noise. And so, 
I want to know what what folks are doing to combat that. Do you think Gutenberg will help with that because it will accidentally delete all of our content as we <laughs> Yes, it's definitely going to on purpose delete all of the <laughs> on content. Purpose. Um, I think that's it's by Matt design. It's Matt Mullenweg's secret yeah. plan. Yeah, that's a that's a feature, not a bug. But <laughs> I would being, agree. Um, you know, I know, and I, I, I think that Gutenberg will help. We can make more interesting content. I, I see. Mm -hmm you know, more interesting looking content, I should say. Um, and I don't know what the, I'm, I might have some skepticism on people really wanting to make every single post look beautiful <laughs> because we do that on some of our internal company blogs and it is a lot of work and it takes it more has. than one it takes more than one person it's exhausting right? it, it yeah. takes it takes a designer who's yeah it and does not, and not a content expert whoever's writing the content it takes collaboration there and design um, is something everybody thinks that they have but very few yeah, yeah i mean i know that i'm the worst designer um in our 100 person company by far but it's a but, but I'll still try, <laughs> right? That's the, pro that's the problem. You can't help I'll, yourself. I'll have, I'll, I'll have a tool now that will let me try more. That's a good point. So I don't know. Um, but anything around content, I mean, to try to answer that question mm -hmm. a little bit there. I, I'm curious as to the direction that's going because good old-fashioned content marketing, um, hoping that people find you through Google, it's just not working anymore. Um, I think for universities as well. All right. Well, thanks so much for talking with us. Um, I'm just going to read a few things before we wrap up. Uh, if you have something else you want to say as I read it, feel free to jump in. Uh, this is a not a very formal podcast. <laughs> WP Campus 2018. It will be July 12th through the 14th uh, at the uh, campus of Washington University in St. Louis. Um, in addition to the 34 talks on a wide variety of topics, this year's conference will include workshops on Gutenberg, content strategy, and web governance. Um, and then there are also going to be some games running through the conference. There's a little something to mix it up a little bit that I've been working with Rachel on to um, encourage some good conference behavior, get more uh, uh, session feedback, and uh, hopefully have a little bit of fun too. We should so, get Rachel to let us drop some hints about trivia questions in here. Yeah. Um, uh, you can uh, learn more about uh, the conference and everything that we've got planned for it at 2018.wpcampus.org. Uh, just as a reminder, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes and on Google Play by searching for WP Campus Podcast, and you can listen to each episode and follow links to more information at wpcampus.org slash podcast. Uh, be sure to follow at WPCampusOrg on Twitter for announcements about the conference and also for news and updates about the podcast, the WP Campus community, and anything and everything else, WordPress and higher ed. Um, and if you have a suggestion for this podcast, or there's a topic or a guest you'd like to have on, uh, tweet it at WPCampusOrg and we'll see it. So, Ronnie, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, thank you. And I'll see you in St. Louis. Yeah, looking forward to it.